Tonight we'll be looking at James chapter 4, and we're going to be talking about quarrels, fights, and conflicts. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, you know, I, I don't really like conflict, but you know, I know that there are some people who will go to great lengths to avoid conflict. And maybe you're one of those people. But James chapter 4 doesn't allow us to avoid conflicts because in the very first verses, uh, we find words like quarrel, fights, war, murder, uh, nothing that we really well, think that maybe we want to study, but we're here. And so uh, we're going to uh, look at James chapter 4 tonight. As I read through the book of James <clears throat> I felt like James was making observation. I felt like he was looking and seeing what was going on and happening within the body of Christ. And he made observations about the people and that they preferred the company of the wealthy over the poor. They showed favor. They were showing favoritism, just like the merchant was showing favoritism. Um, they were facing trials and temptations and they didn't know how to respond or act in regard to these situations that they were facing. Uh, they were having problems with their tongue and their words. And then we come to, to chapter 4 and James observes that there are some people who are in conflict with one another, even to the point of quarreling and fighting. So rather than just saying to them, y'all need to stop this, you know, James, he goes right to the source of the conflict. Uh, just like he did last in our last lesson last month, he went right to the source of our tongue and our words. They come from the abundance of our heart. Well, the source of our conflict, the source of our quarrels and our fightings is sin. And sin is born out of a heart of selfishness. And so we're going to look at that tonight. And so we'll get started with uh, James chapter 4, and we'll read the first three verses. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. I'm going to stop right here. The word murder in this text actually means hatred. Uh, they weren't physically killing one another, but they, you know, they had murder or hatred in their heart for one another. Uh, so I just want to clarify that. All right, you covet and you obtain and you cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your, on your passions. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray tonight that you would guide us, uh, each one of us, so that we could hear your heart. Uh, Heavenly Father, I pray tonight you would be with me as I represent you and your words. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would be with us tonight and help us to focus on your truth. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, James tells us that conflicts and that the conflicts we experience come from the passions that are at war within us. He uses words like covet and desire to 
explain these passions. Uh, when we don't have what we desire, when we don't have what we covet, then we fight and quarrel. This is our human condition. Our passions are the problem. So let's find out uh, a little bit more about this word passion. The word passion in the Greek means hogany. Uh, or in, in the Greek, it's, the word is hogany, and it means to want what we want. That's our passion. Um, in other words, we live the way we want. Um, so our biggest problem in life in, is the war that we have with our passions, you know, and that's even though we didn't see, we don't see it. There's not a one of you that came in here tonight and said, you know, my big problem is my passions. Nobody. Um, you know, uh, so in our in our culture, though, we use the word passion in a different way. We use it in more of a romantic or sexual way. Um, so I think that's why it's important that we define what James is talking about. The letter that, that James has written was written to believers, people who were children of God, who accepted Christ as their Savior, people like me and you who had repented of their sins and the Holy Spirit is living within them. So you might say, well, you know, I don't have a war going on within me. You know, uh, I have Jesus in my heart. Well, Jesus does make things better for our eternity. But we still have a war going on within us between our flesh and the spirit. And so... Uh, you know, we have this because we have inherited a sinful nature that has been passed down to us from Adam and Eve. And this sinful nature will remain with us all the days of our life. And so, you know, Paul says this in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17. He says, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For those are opposed to each other. So you see this war that we have between our flesh and between the spirit. And, and James asks the question, what is causing this? What is causing the quarrels and the fights? You know, is it just that, you know, I want the thermostat set on 73 and you want it set on 65? Or is it that, you know, I want to go to the beach on vacation and you want to go to the mountains? You know, is that, is it, you know, is that, you know, no. See, those things are just symptoms. That's the symptoms. That's not the source of the conflict. The source of the conflict is our passions. We want what we want. So having said that, are conflicts normal? Well, I think they're common. But I don't think we want it to be, them to be normal. If it is, then we need to seek a, a different normal, right? So uh, that's what this lesson is about. It's about finding a way to reduce the war that's going on within us. Um, we have a word in our vocabulary um, that is the opposite of war. If, if I were to say war and you would give me the, the antonym or the opposite, what would that be? Peace. Peace. And... James is a master. I think he is, is just a master at contrast and at uh, opposites. So I want us to go back to chapter 3. 
And I want us to look at the very last verse in chapter 3 because this leads us into chapter 4. The very last verse in chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 18 says, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Peace with whom? Peace with God. That's the whole point of this chapter. The, this whole study that we're doing on the book of James is called Real Faith for Daily Living. So what I want us to be able to do tonight is to make daily application for peace with God. You see, we've made peace with God for eternity. But what about daily peace with God? so that we can reap a harvest of righteousness. And James explains to us, as we continue on in this chapter, how we can do that. So in in chapter uh, 4, verse 4, I'm going to read 4 and 5. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the, spirit, that the Scripture says, He, speaking of God, yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? James chooses to use the word adulterous. And that may be a little word may seem a little unsettling or a word that we don't really want to think about but what I think James is trying to say is that if we have chosen to be partners with God and we want to have peace in our relationship with God then we must commit to an exclusive relationship with God. We're not to pursue additional relationships on the side. Why? Because God yearns jealously over the spirit that he's placed within us. He wants us to commit to him and to him alone because he's a jealous God. And James gives us some really profound insight on what causes the quarrels, the fights, and the conflicts within us. The first thing that James says is, God doesn't want us to make friends with the world. Now, what might that look like, to make friends with the world? I thought about that, you know. I thought, what what does that look like, to, to entertain an additional relationship with the world? Well, what about the things that we put in our mind, the things that we we read, the things that we listen to, the things that we watch that promote values that are in conflict with the things of God. Would that not be considered making friends with the world? What about creating friendships with people who have no interest in God and their only interest is in the world. What about indulging in excesses, wanting more, wanting to pursue uh, so that you have more things, more uh, and better things, so that you use all your time in pursuit of gaining more, and you have no time left 
to spend with God because you spend all your time trying to get more. Would that not be considered making friends with the world? So you see, there's multiple different ways that we can make friends with the world. God wants us to spend time with him. So James number one says the number one reason, or one of the reasons that we lack peace with God is that we make friends with the world. Don't do that. Then he says, as we continue on, he tells us that in order to have peace with God, we must cultivate an humble heart. Listen to what he says in verse 6, starting verse 6. But he gives us more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So we have a word in our vocabulary that's opposite of humble. If we say that a person is not humble, then we would say that he is what? Yeah, he's proud. He's prideful. And that's, that's exactly the word that James uses, used in the text. Pride is something that comes natural to all of us. It's part of that sin nature that we inherited. You know, pride says, my will be done. You know, humility is thy will be done. You know, verse 10 says, humble yourself before the Lord. That's a command. He commands us to humble ourselves before the Lord. See, it's a choice. We can make a choice to humble ourselves. Um, The title of our lesson tonight is Faith Through an Humble Heart. To have an humble heart is to truly believe that God knows better. God knows best. You know, that might sound, like, sound kind of like a silly statement, you know, because everything, well, everybody knows God knows best. No. No. There are days that I don't believe that. Because my actions demonstrate that I think I know best. And if we're honest, we'll all agree with that. But a humble heart believes that God knows the better way. And his ways are always, always right. Always. So as I studied Uh, this lesson throughout the month, I realized that uh, James and Peter said some of the very same things in their writings. This is what Peter says in 1 Peter 5 and and verses 5 and 6. He says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. So the the summary is that we can have peace with God and we can produce a, uh, a harvest of righteousness when we choose to humble ourselves before the Lord. So he tells us first, Don't make friends with the world. Humble ourselves 
before the Lord. And the third thing that James says is necessary to have peace with God is to be smart about the devil. Uh, In verse 7, he says, Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Listen to what Peter says. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, he says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Be firm in your faith. We're tempted, ladies, by our own flesh. We, we don't have to have anything on the outside. You know, we've got enough going on within ourselves, our own flesh. But we're also tempted by the devil. So we need to be smart rather than deceived as it relates to the devil. There is an external source that seeks to keep conflict going on in our life. How does the devil tempt us? thousands of ways that the devil tempts us. But one of the ways I think that um, came to mind was that the devil tempts us um, by trying to get us to legitimize our emotions and our feelings. He tells us that our emotions and the things that we feel, they're right. You know, they're real. Uh, You have a right to be angry. You have a right to be bitter. You have a right to hold on to the hurt because, after all, look what that person did to you. Look what the people have done to you. You have a right to, you know, the devil's prowling around. He's prowling around looking for the woman that he can say, you have a right to be bitter. You have a right to be angry. You have a right to feel that way. You see, he, he does this so he can keep the conflict brewing with inside of you. And so when we hold on to anger and when we hold on to bitterness, then the devil is able to destroy our peace with God. And so we don't want to just treat the symptoms and say things like, you know, you know, I know, I just need to get a hold of myself. You know, I need to start stop arguing so much. I just need to get, I just need to get some self control. You know, um, and maybe you do. Maybe you do need to get some self control. But that's not the source of the problem. That's not the source of the problem. The source of our quarrels and our fights. The reason that we don't have peace with God is because we're being controlled by our passions. It's we're being controlled by our desire to make friends with the world. We're being controlled by our prideful heart rather than humbling ourselves before God. We're allowing the devil to, con- to control our thoughts and, and we act on our emotions and on our feelings rather than acting on the word of God. And so I think these were three wonderful uh, insights that James gives us in regard to the war that we have going on between our flesh and the spirit. Uh, but he also gives us three words that help us uh, on a da- that can help us on a daily basis to stop the conflict that we experience on a daily basis. And and these words are, and you can underline them, are draw near, cleanse, and mourn. 
And so we're going to look at these words just for a second. Uh, he says, I'm going to read that just in, again in verse um, verses 7 through 10. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll free, flee from you. Verse 8, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. The first word I want to look at is draw near. God desires that we are close to him. He wants us to be close to him. But in order to do this, we must submit ourselves to him. We must submit ourselves to being obedient to his commands. And we have to allow the Holy Spirit to rule over our hearts rather than being ruled by our fleshly desires. God is a holy God. And the path to being near to a holy God is, I think, through the next action word, cleanse. God is a merciful God, and he will draw near to us when we deal with our sin. James says, wash your hands and purify your hearts. You see, the Jewish people would have understood this because any time a sacrifice was was offered, the first thing they had to do before they offered the sacrifice was to wash themselves. And so they would have understood what James was saying. They had to cleanse themselves. So how do we cleanse ourselves spiritually? How do, we, how do we do that? Well, we must seek forgiveness. Seek forgiveness of our sins. That's how we cleanse ourselves. And I think that leads us right into the next word, mourn. Our next word, mourn, is to be wretched, weep, and mourn. You know, most people treat their their sin very lightly. They don't really take it that seriously. But James says that we should mourn. We should weep over our sin. In other words, we should take our sin seriously. And when we take our sin seriously and we seek God's forgiveness of our sin. He is faithful and he is just to remove our sins as far as the east is the west and to wipe the slate clean. And so in order for us to draw near to God, we must first deal with our sin. And when we do that, then you see our sin is what separates us from God. But when we deal with our sin, then it brings us back close to God again. And so James tells us, and I think this is another way that it truly can help us on a daily basis to have peace with God and to um, produce a harvest of righteousness in our life. And then we continue reading on James uh, verse 11, 4 and 11 says, Do not speak evil against one, uh, one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against um, the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. 
There is only one lawgiver and judge, and he is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? I want to back up just a little bit. Just a point that I kind of skipped over that I want to make. You know, I think a byproduct and a result of, of... not making friends with the world, humbling ourselves, resisting the devil, uh, drawing and dealing with our sin and uh, asking forgiveness and of our sins, cleansing ourselves of sin. All of these things help us as we move forward into this next part that I'm going to talk about because it enables us to let things go to let it go. I started to sing right here, but I, I'm, I'm not, okay? You see, if you're, if you're driving down the road and you're holding a cup of coffee and you hit a bump, what spills out of that cup? Coffee. If you had orange juice in your cup and you hit a bump, orange juice would spill out. Well, this is, you know, whatever's in the cup's going to spill out. Well, whatever is in your heart when you hit a bump, it's going to spill out too. You see, if you have kindness in your heart and you hit a bump, it's kindness that's going to spill out. You know, if you have a heart that's been humbled before the Lord and you hit a bump, what is it that spills out? Humility. So, humility believes that God knows best and that God will take care and he will correct every situation. I don't need to set anyone straight. I don't need to stick my nose in other people's business. I don't need to judge the motives of others when it comes to preferential matters. And this is what James is talking about, preferential matters. Um, I think the best illustration to this is found in Numbers chapter 12. So if you'll turn in your Bible to Numbers chapter 12. And I'm going to read the first (coughs) 10 verses. Verse 1, then Miriam and Aaron Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than any man who was ever on the face of the earth. Suddenly, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron and to Marion, You three, come out of the tent meeting. So the three of them came out. I mean, can you imagine? The Lord appears. You three, come over here. I mean, that's... Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the doorway of the tent. And he called Aaron and Miriam. And when they had both come forward, he said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision. 
I shall speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. With him I speak mouth to mouth. Even openly, not in dark sayings. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, against Moses? So the anger of the Lord burned against them, and he departed. He left. And when he left, Miriam was a leper, as white as snow. You see, it wasn't a sin for Moses to marry a Cushite woman. But Moses' sister, Miriam, and her brother, and his brother Aaron, Aaron, they didn't approve of it. And so they began to make it their business to, you know, voice their opinion on the matter. It wasn't a sin, you know. They weren't trying to speak truth to him at all. They were just stating their preference. They didn't prefer, prefer that Moses marry a Cushite woman. So they began to do what? Stir up trouble. Stir up conflict. You know, I think there's there's a couple, there's something here that I think is just, when I, I read this, it was just like the light bulb came on. You know, um, this is what I want you to get. That Moses' heart was filled with humility. He was an humble man, more so than any man that ever lived. And when Moses hit the bump in the road with his siblings, Miriam and Aaron, what spilled out of Moses? Humility. Humility. Um, Moses was a meek and humble man. And he didn't argue the point. He could have. He could have got into it with Miriam and uh, and Aaron, much like, you know, you and I might have done. Well, it's none of your business, and, you know, and got all up in it, you know. But you see, Moses didn't do that. He kept quiet. He kept quiet, and he let God handle it. So I think that's a lesson. For one, um, that we need to mind our own business and, and not try to stir up things with people and stay out of other people's business when it's just something that's a preferential matter. And the next thing is when people try to, to get in our business and maybe say things that's, you know, that just let it go. Just like Moses did. He just let it go. And he let God handle it. And God handled it. You know, if you go on and read further, Moses begged God. He went to God himself and fell on his face and begged God to cure Miriam of her leprosy. He did. After seven days, she stayed in a leper camp. He, he cured her. But you see, I think this is a great example to us as to... We need to tend to our own business and not try to stir up strife and trouble and conflict with others. But when people maybe say things to us that are hurtful or whatever, we, we, just, we can just let it go sometimes, can't we? Let love cover it. And wait on the Lord. 
wait on the Lord. Because I tell you, the Lord can fix things a lot better than we can. And so I, I think this is a great lesson uh, that we can have. If we want to have peace with God and produce a harvest of righteousness, then uh, we need to have an humble heart and a meek spirit and wait on the Lord and um you know, as well as mind our own business. So um, then we go on to verse 13. He says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. And instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, to him it is sin. And that's how the chapter ends. You see, we all struggle with a prideful heart. And we desperately yearn to direct the course of our life so that things turn out the way we want them to, when we want them to, and how we want them to. And oftentimes, we'll approach life with, you know, you're going to, you know, you're just gangbusters, you know. Uh, you know, I like, I'm going to have strength and boldness and confidence, you know, as you approach life so that, you know, you're trying to assure that you have success. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, having strength and boldness and confidence as long as we submit it to the Lord. If the Lord wills, is the key. That's the key. And James is telling us in this passage that we desperately need the Lord's direction in our lives rather than having a prideful approach to life and trying to control, be a control freak, uh, and warring against the spirit uh, that's within us, boasting of our own strength and of our own wisdom. We should humble ourselves to the will of God in all things, in all things. You see, it's not wrong or sinful to make plans for the future, but we should always be willing to submit our plans to the Lord. And if we'll submit our plans to the Lord, it's then we can have peace. We can have peace no matter what. And we'll be able to produce that harvest of righteousness. And so, this was not a long chapter, but it had a lot of good stuff in it, didn't it? Yes, it spoke to my heart tremendously. And I hope that it did to you, too. You know, think about this in your life. Are there areas in your life that you are desperately trying to control yourself? I think and if we admit that, we all have areas in our life where we're trying to control it. You know, how has the Lord, uh, you know, or has he revealed this to you? And if he has, how is he helping you and enabling you to, to walk through that and to grow and to change? 
because God wants us to depend on him and not our own selves. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, I thank you again for this time that we have for each one of these ladies who are here tonight. I thank you for the blessings uh, that uh, they bring, uh, their their wisdom, their insight. Lord, I pray for uh, each one of them that you would just minister them in their lives in a special way. You know the things that they need, Lord, in their lives, and I pray that you would bless them with those things, Lord, if it be your will. And Heavenly Father, uh, just be with us as we go out throughout the week and uh, bring us back again and protect us and guide over us. And Lord, we just ask all these things in your name. Amen.